Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the first episode of Geekery in general in quite a while, actually. I am your host, Al. For any newer listeners, this is actually the first podcast I tried doing, and it's a show about my love of Dungeons and Dragons, role-playing games, video games, and other aspects of geek culture. So I know I haven't done one of these for a while. I've tried dabbling with a few other types of podcasts, but I still like doing these episodes, so still want to try to do them every now and then. For my return to the Geekery in General podcast, I'm going to be doing an episode that, in some ways, it almost borders on strange and interesting because I'm going to be talking a bit about some folklore in this particular episode. This is going to be a historical gaming episode about running a campaign during the golden age of the hobo in the United States. One of the reasons I decided to do this episode is because there's a common stereotype of adventurers that you'll hear about in the role-playing game community called the murder hobo. And that's because there's a tendency for some adventuring groups to just wander around and, you know, killing and murdering things and taking away, you know, treasure and they don't really have a home. So they're just kind of tromping around, going wherever the wind takes them and hopefully not doing anything that would be too evil and get themselves into trouble. So I figured why not explore what it would be like to do a campaign based on historical hobos. Now let's start with three terms that are often used interchangeably, even though they actually mean different things. And those terms are hobo, tramp, and bum. First, hobos were traveling workers. So while they had a reputation for being lazy, they were in fact willing to work. Tramps are similar to hobos in that they travel, but unlike a hobo, they only work if they absolutely have to. And then finally, there's a bum who's someone who doesn't work, doesn't travel, so they just stay in the same place. The origin of the term hobo is disputed. Some possible suggestions are it might come from the term hoboy, in this case ho being spelled H-O-E, as in the agricultural tool, homeless boy, homeward bound, or homeless bohemian. Another theory is that it comes from the term hobu, a greeting used among railway workers. As with any historical campaign, the first thing we need to do is to choose a time period. And when we're talking about hobos, we've actually got a lot of options to choose from. Honestly, it really could be any time after the 1860s, and the latest I would recommend would be the early 1980s. Hobos first appeared in American society after the Civil War. Veterans looking for a way to return home took to hopping on steam trains. Other hobos moved west to seek work on the frontier, 
if you choose to use this time period, I would recommend listening to episode 260, which is an episode I did about how to run a Dungeons and Dragons game in the days of the American Wild West. The agricultural industry of the Western United States back then actually benefited from these migrant laborers. Hobos willing to do agricultural work needed to follow the seasons carefully. When the harvest season in one region was done, they would need to move on to the next region where the crops were almost ready to harvest in an effort to secure more work. In the late 1800s, hobos found themselves at the center of a moral panic. They were often viewed as being lazy foreigners. Others claimed they were part of an inferior race of nomadic people. There were also calls for people living the hobo lifestyle to be sent to work camps, put in jail, forcefully sterilized, or even executed. Though in reality, most hobos were white American males, and as previously noted, they were willing to work. Around this time, hobos started to develop a distinct culture. Some hobos organized and came up with a code of conduct to guide their actions. One such convention in 1889 came up with a 16-point code. Much of this code is focused on trying to present themselves as contributing members of society. The Hobo Code places an emphasis on seeking employment whenever possible and not causing trouble in the communities they visited. There was also a concern for how their actions might have long-term impacts and consequences. Many hobos realized that if they overstayed their welcome in a particular area, or if their kind was known to cause trouble, their actions might make it harder on a hobo who came along at a later time. The goal was to not perpetuate the negative stereotypes that surrounded their lifestyle. The number of hobos in America increased during the 1930s due to the Great Depression. Many men were forced to seek employment opportunities elsewhere due to a lack of jobs in their hometown, even if it meant taking undesirable or dangerous jobs in construction, lumbering, or mining. It is also believed that hobos had their own specialized system of signs and symbols. The historical authenticity of hobo signs is a topic of debate, but in a role-playing game setting, it actually works quite well. I could see allowing players to take this as a language or non-weapon proficiency. Hobo signs were meant to convey important information, such as where to find a campsite, places where the locals were hostile towards hobos, and places where a hobo might be able to find charity. Hobo culture also developed its own special lingo and set of terms. Here are some common terms you can encourage the players to use if you want to keep with the atmosphere of the campaign. 
First, a bindle stick is one of the most well-known images associated with the hobo. You've probably seen pictures of them either in movies, cartoons, or old photographs. It is a bunch of cloth carried at the end of a stick containing the hobo's belongings. And they would use the stick for leverage to even out the weight to make it easier to carry. To boil up means to get oneself as clean as possible and comes from the practice of boiling your clothes in order to kill lice and other parasites. One of the hobo's greatest enemies was the bull. And this is a common term used to describe security officers who patrolled the railroad yards. Sometimes a bull might be accompanied by a bone polisher, which is a name for a hostile guard dog. To be covered by the moon meant to sleep under the stars, but whenever possible, a hobo will look for a flop. The term flop could simply mean a place to sleep, but was also short for flop house. Flop houses were hotels that sprung up in the late 1800s. These establishments offered cheap lodging. Sometimes they would have communal rooms with bunks or cots, though if you had some extra money and there was room available, sometimes you could get a small but private room. A flop house not only catered to hobos, but also to agricultural workers, lumberjacks, railroad workers, and other migrant workers who had to follow seasonal labor. If there wasn't room at a flop house, a hobo might look for a jungle, which was an area near a railroad yard where other hobos congregated. If the hobo was lucky, he might be able to get a bowl of mulligan stew. This was a communal stew that was made of whatever meat, spices, and vegetables that those present had on hand. The jungle, though, was not considered a place to get free food and a place to sleep. Part of the hobo code encouraged people to help out as best they could whenever they stayed in a jungle. Other hobos could also inform a character of bad lines, or train lines that were not wise to travel because another hobo committed a crime or did something that caused increased security. Traveling a bad line could lead someone to the big house, or prison. With any luck, though, the people the hobo meets in a jungle will be blowed in the glass, which was a term used to describe someone who is considered honest and trustworthy. While staying in a jungle could provide the opportunity for companionship, food, and a place to rest, the hobo would need to be wary of jungle buzzards. These were hobos who preyed on other hobos. Those in a jungle would also need to be aware of people who were hot or on the run from authorities. Another type of person a hobo might meet is a yeg which is a term for a traveling professional thief. And finally, if a hobo passes away, he doesn't die. Instead, it was said he caught the westbound.
Similar to the jungle is a place called a Hooverville, named after Herbert Hoover. Hoover was the President of the United States at the time of the Great Depression and was widely blamed for this event. A Hooverville was a shanty town made up of makeshift shelters. Other terms named in reference to President Hoover were Hoover leather, which was cardboard that was used to line a shoe after the sole had worn away. Hoover blankets were newspapers used as blankets by homeless people. And a Hoover flag was formed when one turned their pants pocket inside out to show they had no money. By World War II, the number of hobos decreased for two main reasons. First, trains were switching from steam to diesel. These new trains were faster and harder to board. More importantly, the economy improved, which meant fewer people would need to travel to find employment. Around this time, the term hobo fell out of general use in favor of the term migrant. The number of people who could be classified as hobos increased during the mid to late 70s due to the aftermath of the Vietnam War. Unfortunately, some of the men who returned from that conflict suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder and crippling physical injuries, mental illness, drug addiction, and disillusionment with society caused some of these men to become vagrants. While there is nothing wrong with setting a hobo-themed campaign during any of these times, I would recommend setting the campaign in the 1930s during the Great Depression. This event was triggered by the collapse of the American stock market on October 24, 1929. The economic impact of the crash would eventually make its way to other countries. In the United States, many businesses either cut wages or laid off workers in an effort to keep the company afloat. The impact of the Great Depression was worsened in 1933 after a severe drought hit the central United States. The region hit the hardest was the Texas and Oklahoma Panhandle. Parts of northeastern New Mexico, southeastern Colorado, southern Nebraska, and western Kansas were impacted as well. This region became known as the Dust Bowl. One of the factors was environmental change that came from attempts to convert dry grassland to farmland. Deep plowing killed off a lot of native grasses. These plants served an important function by keeping the topsoil in place. After these grasses died off, the soil turned to dust. The combined effect of both drought and dust storms forced many people to leave their homes. If you want to add supernatural elements to a hobo campaign, there's two sources I'd like to recommend. The first is the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Yes, I am aware of the racist themes that can be found in some of his stories, 
and that some of his views are problematic to modern audiences. But while we can't deny that some of these beliefs were common in certain areas during Lovecraft's life, that doesn't mean they were right. Ultimately, you know your gaming group better than I do, so if there's some aspect of Lovecraft's lore that you think might make your players uncomfortable, then feel free to modify as needed. The reason I think Lovecraft can be a source of inspiration is he believed Western civilization was in decline. When you look at the Great Depression and the agricultural decay that was occurring in the Dust Bowl, it is easy to understand how this might influence a person's way of thinking. I also think the idea of shadowy cults working to undermine society would work as well. The conditions in the Dust Bowl caused many people to move, leaving behind abandoned buildings. I could see a cult worshipping some ancient evil, taking up residence in one of these forgotten places. If the players witness these cults in action, and speak out about it, then most people will certainly dismiss them as crazy hobos, which could land them a couple of nights in jail, or land them into other trouble. And of course, as with any good conspiracy theory, there's always going to be cultists who are secretly in law enforcement, government, and other authoritative bodies. Another source for inspiration might be the HBO TV series Carnival. Sadly, this program only ran for a couple of seasons before it was canceled. It was about a traveling carnival during the 1930s. The show incorporated supernatural elements as well. The show's theme didn't revolve around supernatural creatures, but rather the timeless battle of good and evil. Part of Carnival's story revolves around two characters that were respectively the avatars of light and darkness. As far as outfitting the players, I would recommend keeping equipment minimal. Characters should be limited to whatever can be carried in pockets, on a bindle stick, and maybe a backpack if a player can obtain one. Armor will be limited to the equivalent of leather armor or padded armor and would take the form of thick layers of leather or canvas. While this might provide some protection, remember, it will get very uncomfortable in warm weather and may need frequent repairs. If a hobo can scrounge up enough scrap metal, he might be able to work it into his jacket, perhaps allowing the equivalent of studded leather, brigadine, or maybe even scale mail. But that's about the highest I would go. Again, during this time, you're not really going to see much armor being used by anyone. And you know, even in the military, usually the only armor they wore would be a helmet. Weapons will be limited as well. The most valuable weapons to a hobo will be smaller weapons that can be utilized as tools, such as knives, hammers, and hand axes. Other weapons that can be carried without attracting attention will be beneficial as well. 
such as a walking stick that is sturdy enough to be used as a club or a sling. A handgun will probably be the best weapon a hobo can hope to come across as long as he can find proper ammunition for it. There were a variety of revolvers and magazine-fed pistols in use at the time, so I'm not going to cover all of them. Most had anywhere from a 6-8 to eight shot clip. One popular gun was the Colt Model 1908 Vest Pocket. This was a small handgun that was designed to be easy to conceal in a coat or vest pocket. They had a short range, but were good for self-defense. As far as character classes go, I think the ones that will make the most sense will be Fighter, Ranger, and Thief. If you are using a version of D&D that has a Monk class, I can see them working as well. The Bard could also make sense in this campaign, at least in the role of a traveling entertainer. A fighter could be a discharged soldier. Most likely, he would be a veteran of World War I. This war lasted from 1914 to 1918, though the U.S. didn't get involved until 1917. If the campaign is set after 1932, a fighter character may have been a part of the Bonus Army. This wasn't a real army, but rather a group of unemployed World War I veterans. These men had been promised a bonus for their service in the Great War, but it would not be granted until 1945. The men needed the money now due to the Depression. After several protests and demonstrations, President Hoover ordered the U.S. Army to forcefully remove the veterans. It took a few years, but the bonuses were paid out under a new Congress. Given this event, you can probably understand how this would cause a veteran to become disgruntled and disillusioned with society. Fighters with unarmed combat skills would work well in this campaign. Even a monk can work if you remove the semi-magical abilities that members of this class can have. Boxing first came to America in the 1700s and was well established by the late 1800s. Boxing matches could be legally sanctioned, so one option might be a character with a lot of unarmed combat skills could be a down-on-his-luck boxer who was forced into the hobo life after a lengthy losing streak. Or maybe he might be traveling to look for illegal underground fights. Next is the ranger. Take away the magical abilities, and I can see him also fitting into this type of a campaign. A ranger's outdoor and survival skills could be very helpful for a party that needs to do a lot of traveling with limited supplies. Since a ranger hobo might not be able to carry a bow or a firearm, being able to learn how to trap would actually be very beneficial. He could use that skill to try to trap small animals like rabbits, squirrels, and chipmunks to use for food. Being able to know how to fish would be extremely useful as well. 
As far as his background, he could be a country boy who was forced to leave home due to poor economic conditions. He might also have been a soldier back from war, a former cowboy, or just someone with a lot of outdoor skills. Another option is to make him a former or current member of the CCC, or Civilian Conservation Corps. The CCC was part of President Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. It was a work program for unmarried men between the ages of 18 and 25. This program also employed veterans, minorities, and Native Americans. Some members of the Bonus Army were offered positions in the CCC and exempted from the normal age and marital requirements. CCC laborers were paid $30 per month, but 25 of it had to be sent back home to their families. The CCC worked on a variety of projects, including erosion control, flood control, planting forests, and constructing lookout towers. They also helped build bridges and other service buildings. Many of these projects are still standing today. The thief class will also work for a hobo campaign. Due to the economic downturn caused by the Depression, no doubt there were people who turned to stealing for a living. One option I can think of is to adapt a class from the second edition Dragonlance setting. That setting featured a race called Kender, which were similar to, in some ways, to halflings from normal Dungeons and Dragons. Kender had a special class they could take called the Handler. It had most thieving abilities except backstab. To compensate, they had a new skill called Handling, which, if my memory serves me correctly, was the character's ability to subconsciously pickpocket items without being noticed. The reason for this change was because, as stated in the book, Kender handlers are driven by curiosity, not bloodlust. To a Kender, a bag of pretty rocks and crystals, though worthless, would be more appealing than a boring old bag of coins. I think you can make this work in a hobo setting for the same reason. Those who turn to theft may have done so out of a need for survival, not maliciousness. If you decide to let a thief character take this approach, I would grant them a bonus to pickpockets in exchange for losing the backstab ability. Of course, if a character wants to play a normal thief with all standard thieving abilities, that works just fine as well. The bard can also work if you take away the magical abilities. A bard in a hobo campaign could be a traveling entertainer or a drifter who happens to have some musical talent. In any case, a hobo bard would not be out of place because there are some songs that were believed to have been written and passed around by hobos. One noteworthy example is Big Rock Candy Mountain. This song was written by Harry McClintock, a singer who had spent some time in the late 1800s as a hobo, 
and a railroad worker. This song describes a hobo's idea of paradise, where the hens lay soft-boiled eggs, the dogs have rubber teeth, the cops have wooden legs, and a hobo could have an easy life. Later musicians would make a child-friendly version that replaced references to cigarettes and alcohol with references to candy and soda pop. Well, here's where we run into the challenge. In my opinion, most of the other classes like the Paladin, Druid, Cleric, and Wizard might not work as well. Honestly, it really depends on how much magic you're going to allow into the campaign. Of course, if a player can think of a creative way to work one of these classes into the game, I would say go for it. If you're going to use the Cthulhu Mythos or something similar as a backdrop, then these classes might be easier to work in. If the nature of the campaign is that there is some dark and hidden evil that the players need to contend with, then I can see the Paladin, or at least a Paladin-like character, actually fitting in. He could be a wandering warrior of sorts, destined to live a life of loneliness and poverty in order to fight the forces of evil with spiritual powers. Or, at least he could think that, he might just be a normal hobo who has delusions of grandeur. Clerics do provide an interesting challenge. Religious institutions played an important role during the Depression. Many churches during this time operated soup kitchens and food banks as a way to assist the poor. Clergymen would certainly be busy enough tending to their normal duties. I can see clerics better suited to NPCs because they probably will not have the time to adopt a hobo's nomadic lifestyle. A player character cleric might still be possible, though. The show Carnival I mentioned earlier had a character named Brother Justin. In the first season, his church caught fire, which caused him to wander and look for answers. So I could see that as being a possible background for a cleric in this type of campaign. Or another idea, if you're going for the crazy hobo feel of the game, it's always possible that this cleric may have witnessed something and then was kicked out of his church after he reported it to his superiors. Wizards can also be tricky to incorporate, but possible. As with most low-level magic historical settings, it is advisable to stick with non-dramatic, non-flashy spells. So things like Fireball, Lightning Bolt, Cone of Cold, and other classic D&D spells would be out of place. A Diviner could work. Again, remember the show Carnival, one of the characters in the series was a woman who worked in the carnival as a fortune teller and would do tarot readings. Incorporating wizards might work a little easier if you are going more the cosmic horror route. Certainly they'd be great as NPCs, but if they make good PCs or not, that really kind of depends. In some works of literature at that time, only bad people use magic. Or, while it might be possible for non-villains to use magic, 
sometimes there's a dark consequence that comes with possessing this forbidden knowledge. And finally, monsters. Now, in a hobo campaign, the type of monsters characters can run into is really going to depend on the backdrop that you're choosing for the campaign. If you're going to draw an inspiration from Lovecraft, then you can certainly bring in the various creatures from the Cthulhu mythos. You might want to be very careful, though. The more intelligent of these monsters would probably limit themselves to working in the shadows. If you go back and listen to some of my previous episodes, you might also get some ideas there. Local folklore can be a great place to look for inspiration for the type of monsters that players might encounter. If you go back in my Geekery in General podcast, I recommend episode 260 on the Wild West, especially if you're going to put your campaign in the Western United States. If you think you're going to stick more towards the East Coast, then I would recommend taking a listen to episode 262, Puritans and Pilgrims. In that particular episode, I do talk about some of the creatures from Native American folklore. There's also an episode of the Strange and Interesting podcast I'd recommend. Listen to my episode, Paul Bunyan and Lumberjack Lore. Near the end of that episode, I talked about a group of creatures called Fearsome Critters. These were creatures that were believed to explain various phenomenon that would happen in the forest at night, such as debris falling from the trees or mysterious sounds or lumberjacks not making it back home. There are also various stories of little people that we can see in the folklore of the Americas. So if you want to incorporate something similar to like leprechauns or pixies in the campaign, you certainly could do that. And finally, most forms of humanoid undead could work as well. You could certainly incorporate zombies and skeletons and even more powerful undead like vampires But since these monsters possess very, very powerful abilities and are generally immune to normal weapons, you might want to save that for the last boss in a campaign. And obviously you're going to have to incorporate magic weapons, otherwise your players are pretty much going to get killed. So there you have it. Some ways you might try to run a D&D campaign inspired by the Age of Hobos in the United States. I hope you found this information enjoyable, entertaining, and educational. Thanks for listening and have a great day. You have been listening to a presentation of Point of Insanity Game Studio. Visit us on the web at poigamestudio.com Follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio, look us up on Facebook, and email us at POI Game Studio at gmail.com.